Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious lolly Focus Pops or lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Take this. You need it. As you traverse through scenes of inexplicable horrors. But don't worry. There's a couple of brave knights to assist you ghouls in the afterlife. Your tour guides, Prince and Freddy, will ensure you don't leave with any missing limbs, demonically possessed, stalked by a masked killer, or devoured by cannibals. So, hit the lights, sit back, and let the darkness envelop you as we welcome you to Nightlight, a horror movie podcast. I'm Prince, also known as Head Knight. And I'm Freddy, also known as Nighty Knight. This is Nightlight, a horror movie podcast. Concluding this month was an absolute banger of a selection, I feel like, from our Ghoulish Knights. Now, they're concluding our reboot month, also known as... Was this necessary? (laughs) (laughs) But they're concluding this month between two particular films they had to choose from The Grudge... 2002 and Suspiria 2018 and Suspiria one like blew it out of the fucking water by landslide yeah it was insane like I didn't expect it to be that big of a deal like I thought I knew people liked this movie but not that much but first and foremost (laughs) Freddie what about you thoughts well obviously I saw Suspiria the original one a while back, a couple of years. You now, loved was, that one. Yeah, I really liked it. It's one of my favorite of Dario Argento, to be honest. It's just stylistically nice and beautiful and the colors and An the set design. Scene too. Come on. All of it. So I was really excited to see this Suspiria 2018's version. And I'm very familiar with this director, too, and his other works that he's done recently. So I was like, cool. This is kind of cool to see a movie that's directed by Luca. And it's kind of cool that this is a remake of a movie that I love. So I should love this. And we get a cast that's fucking phenomenal. We get Tilda Swinton. Oh, we got Dakota cast. Johnson. We got Mia Tilda Gaw. Swinton playing three characters, mind you. Yeah. She's playing the doctor, the uh, mother Marcos, and she's playing Blanc. God damn. She's, yeah. She, she um, the really chops. empowers the roles as well. But yeah, that's what I'm going to say is that the performances are great. The acting's phenomenal. The story, is very well what done. you ex- expect is weird. Edited in a very interesting <laughs> yeah. way as well. We get some cool d- dream sequence yeah, the, and the nightmares. Zoom-ins, lots of zoom-ins on faces. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, a lot of cool camera work. But I think the only thing that didn't really sell me is the story. Just because I, I feel like the original one does it better and it's hard not to compare it and, and kind of very, keep it as a standalone. But they are different. Right. They're very different and I didn't stories. Want different. <laughs> yeah, Which, yeah. You wanted okay. an actual remake of it. I will give Which a shout I- out though. There is a great like symbolism of like what's going on in that country and going through right. the anxiety of oh, are people organizing and committing crimes or is there's like this power hungriness within groups and people's beliefs and there's a line in this movie when we talk about it. He's like, well, that's religion. I'm like, that's deep. (laughs) (laughs) But like the power of belief, right? What can get people to join a group is interesting in this movie. And like the story is interesting. It's just not Suspiria for me. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And for those who are wondering what Freddie's mentioning of like the timeline and the plot of, of like the surrounding aspect of the story, it's during, during uh, German autumn, which was in 1977. And that was, uh, that was a huge time frame where there were kidnappings and murders mm-hmm. of a bunch of like businessmen and industrialists and things like that. There was like a hijacking of a plane as well. <laughs> and it was, it was, it was nuts. It was a, an insane time where it was by the uh, PFLP, which is the popular front of the liberation of Palestine. And it was also RAF as well, which was the red army faction right. And it, it was it was fucking insane the things that were happening with these militant organized groups, and you know it, it it was it was it was nuts it was insane and and this happened like in in I guess spectrum of the Cold War as well like this was kind of around that same time I wouldn't say like a ton of people died but it was still it was still a, a really rough time uh you know what i i would say probably a ton of people did die but like the ones that were those figures who were considered popular at that time or or well known or anything like that wasn't many of them that died but there's still a lot of people got fucked up and this was a span for like I, i think the whole summer or something like that so interesting it was interesting to have this film set during that because i think it was from the summer until the fall and I think this was right. supposed to be the tail end of that. Like things were heating up and then starting to kind of patter out. But yeah, it was very interesting to kind of surround this film around the anxiety of real life yeah. events. <laughs> like who can I trust? Leadership, the crew right. come in. Who, yeah. Who's real? It was, it was, yeah. it was interesting. Are they witches like, or an organization? <laughs> Who knows? Are they a company or are they witches? Are they a company of witches? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I I agree with you with Suspirius 1977 being... I, I wouldn't necessarily say a better movie. I just... I like that one more. One, because it fits in a lot of information and a lot smaller of a time frame one two hours and 32 minutes is a long time i have a decent attention span when it comes to films but there are a few times where like i found myself like like man could could really really watch something else right now you know like it was just (laughs) it was just kind of one of those moments where you know that's not to say i didn't like this movie though i love this movie i i I think this movie is fantastic i think it's very very well done but it's one of those movies that 
I can watch once and I'm good. This is my second time watching it. And I like when I was watching, I was like, yeah, the first time was fine. You know, like I was good just watching this one time. I did catch things that I didn't catch previously, but it wasn't enough for me to be like, oh man, I really want to watch this again and again and again. Not like Suspiria 1977 for me, where I did want to watch that again and again. I I want to watch that movie over and over and over again, just because of the palette and the intensity and things like that behind it as well. And and just the fact that it's very Mm -hmm. different. This felt different, but also modern, which was helpful in in that regard. Yeah, very moody compared to Suspiria 1977. More vibrant colors. Yeah, Definitely. and I know Argento wasn't the biggest fan of this one either, where he, him and Luca Guadagnino did have a little discussion about it. And supposedly no one knows what that discussion was about. Luca just mentioned that it was it was eye-opening. And Argento has been on record with like Andy Wire and things like that. He was just like, you know, if you're going to make a, a reboot, yeah. <laughs> like you either are going to copy it, which at that point, it's not a reboot. You're just copying something. Or... You can either change it, but at that point, if you're going to change it so much, why call it Suspiria? And I think that's kind of what he was getting at. Like, this isn't Suspiria. This is a completely different movie that is surrounded around ballet. Like, that that was really it. So, I don't know. Interesting, interesting stuff. But let's go and jump into this, man, because we got a long way to go. Suspiria, 2018, (laughs) specifically directed by Luca Guadagnino, released November 2nd of 2018 with a runtime of two hours and 32 minutes with a budget of $20 million and a box office of $7 million with a rating of 66% on Rotten Tomatoes. I was kind of surprised at that. I thought it was going to be a little bit higher. But... We open to rain pattering while crowd chants in German while rioting. Patricia stands outside in the rain watching the crowd throw smoke grenades at the police. Act 1, 1977. She walks off as the crowd chants, We are watching and free Meinhof. She heads inside a building singing to herself, making it to a door where she frantically rings the doorbell and bang on it. A psychiatrist, Dr. Klimpener, I think is how you pronounce his name, Klimpener, I asked a buddy of mine who speaks German, and I was playing it over and over, and it sounds like that. So, Klimpener. Yeah. If I butcher that, my apologies. I'm sorry. Uh, but Klimpena answers the door, surprised to see her. She invites herself inside, singing and dancing. Klimpena mentions that they have a patient, but he'll ask him to come back later. He opens the door into his office, allowing Patricia inside. She takes her shoes off, bringing her knees to her chest as she sits down. Complaining about the song being stuck in her head and being loud, he turns on his in-session sign. In German, she questions if he sees what she means. Klimpener grabs a journal, tossing it on the table, sitting sitting to take notes while ignoring her question. In English, she mentions that they are going to try to keep someone alive after all. He wonders if it is Marcos that she's talking about. She jumps off the chair in a panic about someone taking their chair. She calms down as he writes in the notebook. She claims that she was right, knowing that they are witches. A boom sounds outside. She looks down at the crowd from the window. She wants to tell Sarah to get out of there, her being the only girl that she cares about. Klippina gets up, the notebook saying, quote, her delusions has deepened into panic. She feels her constructed mythology is confirmed. End quote. He draws the curtains. She continues that if she leaves Sarah, they may pick her or Olga 
next, feeling the need to warn her as well. I love this because later down the line, we obviously get to see that they chose all of them. <laughs> like, it was right. literally, it was Patricia, Sarah, and Oga. It was all of them. So it's just like, the, no one was safe. Uh, knowing that she has <laughs> already figured out they have groomed Patricia, there being more in the building than what you can see. She looks up at the books on the shelf, continuing that they have been underground since the war. He questions if she believes they can hear her now. She looks over at him, nodding slowly. Outside the apartment, eerie whispering fills the halls. Patricia continues th that in the beginning, they gave her things. Perfect balance in sleep, talking to, with, her, with their minds. She whimpers that they took her hair, urine, and eyes. Knowing she can see her, she looks around the room as faint moans fill the air. She starts singing again, touching over some of her books. She lies down, calling out Mother Marcos, knowing that she wants to get inside of her, being able to feel her, thinking that she wanted this. Uh, Klippenach scribbles and underlines sim simul simulcrum. I think is that how you pronounce that? Simulcrum? <laughs> she sighs close that... Clo close enough. They didn't say these fucking words in this movie. I'm just like, you're writing them right. down, but yeah, goddammit, can it. someone say it? <laughs> like, shit. The only one that they said was sus uh, Suspirorium. Um, they said a, a few other ones and that I had to play a little over and over again that I'm going to get to later in Butcher. Right the diner. Yeah. <laughs> she sighs that she uh, let it happen as she looks at the masonry symbol on the book that she let it happen. She jolts up, grabbing the book and flipping it over. The room fills with ghastly moans, causing her to flip over things around the room with eyes or faces. She goes over to a picture, inspecting it before putting it over heavily. She <laughs> I was I felt so bad because as soon as she did I was like oh yeah she broke that shit <laughs> like she she slammed that <laughs> shit down she broke that for sure he picks it up revealing that it's shattered by her force and it's of his his late wife mm. oh like, my heart <laughs> that sucked dude I don't know why I chuckled a little bit <laughs> when she slammed it down or when so he picked like, it really, up yeah. Yeah, for real. Like he looked, like, I would have right, been like, get out. out. It was like too hard, but then it was like cracked. I'm like, oh, you did that. And he was kind of like <laughs> mad, and he just let it go. Yeah, you know, I, I, I mean, like, controlled his like anger. He's like, <sighs> all right, yeah. I mean, in that moment, like you, you can tell that she's 100 percent in this moment, very mentally unstable, right? Like, right. He, I feel like exactly for him, off the rails. Right. And for him, he's like, I, I you know, I got to give her the benefit of the doubt. You know, like I, she, it's not like right. she understands what she's really doing. Yeah. He stays with his professionalism. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah absolutely. He sighs. She questions if he understands her. After the session, she's leaving out thinking if, if they knew she was there, they won't hesitate. A woman named, I think he calls her Sesim, but it's spelled like Sesame. <laughs> But I think you pronounce it as Seasim. <laughs> but a woman named Seasim is in his kitchen making dinner, which I assume was just his like assistant. She holds on to him uh, to his sides, explaining how they hollow her out and feast on her. She hugs him before rushing off down the hall. He closes the door, looking at looking over at Seasim. She shares that she, that his next patient is there. Cut to a field and a secluded house. Inside, a knitted picture that says, "Quote: A mother is a woman who can take the place of all others, but 
whose place no one else can take. End quote. Two men sit on a chair, waiting as a few women prepare a sickly woman on a bed. She wheezes as a pregnant woman stands in the corner with her head in her hands. You see how modest and simple they live from their clothing and Bibles. And it's interesting because you can tell they're like, I wouldn't say they're Amish, but they're maybe Mormon. Sure. Just like that attire. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know much about that, like, side of, like, you know, Christianity and stuff like that. So I'm not too, I'm not too sure what they really are, to be completely honest with you. But I'm sure someone will tell us. <laughs> she closes the window and sits by her mother's side while praying. The help covers her with blankets. The pastor drives up and he's greeted by one of the men. The mother looks out weakly, not being able to really control her state. Fade to Susie, the daughter of a sickly woman inside of a train station in Germany. She holds out an envelope with a cross logo from Ohio um, Mennonite Church. Oh, there you go. They're Mennonites. She opens... <laughs> Thanks, movie. She opens up to the envelope with money inside. She covers herself as she looks at the money, watching a couple of police officers going up to some punks. Um, and by punks, I mean like they were just like, you know, into the music, punk rockers. They start coming coming on by, causing her to drop her pamphlet. And I think I think I mean the train starts coming on by. I just didn't write the train. Rain right. pours heavily as she asks for directions, periodically looking at a map as she makes it to a large building. She heads inside, closing the door and looking at the sheer volume of the building. A woman knocks on the door, gathering her attention. Her attention immediately shifts to the wall as it rumbles. Miss Tanner greets her in German. Susie shakes her hand, calling out who she is. In English, she tells Susie to come inside. She follows, looking at the images of the staff, Blanc and Marcos having the two largest photos. Tanner gets, gets her attention to come inside the room, explaining that she tried to call her hotel to reschedule. Susie, Susie doesn't understand why. Tanner blames it on business and it not being a good time. She takes a seat. Now, this is interesting because... We don't know right away, but in this moment, they're preparing Patricia. Right. So they're yeah. in the process of trying to begin this ritual, and they're just like, yo, now's not a good time. We're trying to do, do the damn thing. thing. You know? Yeah, exactly. But in reality, they obviously don't know that they're in the presence of the head bitch, you know what I'm saying? Like she's the right. one. Like you don't want to like, fuck oh, with God. her. <laughs> this person walking in, it's like we got things to do. I'm not she the one. <laughs> <laughs> and she cut in. In some ways, this is interesting because I. It felt like she was in the in this kind of like undercover esque type of way. I guess I don't know. Um, like it's hard to tell because at the end of the film, it's just like. This was all part of my plan and actually came here to make sure that you were loyal and all this other jazz. But why does she have to do that to Olga? <laughs> right. Yeah, like, God damn. <laughs> what, what point are we trying to prove here? <laughs> Jesus Christ, Susie. Like, I'm innocent, but deadly. But you'll find right. out. <laughs> yeah. Like, you'll okay. see. You'll see. You'll see. <laughs> Like, goddamn, did Oga really deserve that? 
Jesus Christ. Cut yes. to Susie warming up in the dance hall in loose clothing. She rubs on her chest while breathing in deeply. Another set of deep breaths accompanies hers. Fade to a group of dancers practicing. Tanner calls out to her to come inside the dance room. She introduces the two staff members, Emilius and Mandel. Susie thought that Blanc was going to be there. Tanner chuckles that she doesn't have any formal training or references, and her interest to audition caught Blanc on a good day, thinking that she shouldn't be there at all. Wanting her to begin her audition. Fun fact, actually, Dakota practiced, I think, ballet for two years just specifically for this role. I thought that was really, really cool. And, like, God, ton of dedication. I was going to ask if that was going to be a fun fact or if she had a history with dancing because she kills it in a lot of these movements. Like, she's really yeah. good. Really, really well done shit. I didn't know, like, I can't really interpret dance. Like, so I didn't, it didn't speak to me. But, like, for what she was doing, I was like, she's doing it. She's definitely doing she's it. She's waving her hands around. Yep, she's definitely, whatever she's doing, she's doing it. And she seems to be doing it well. So she's about to turn on some music, but Milia stops her, preferring that she does it without. Mandel chuckles the question about her be- being able to keep count in her head. They sit down as Susie goes to take off her sweater, sighing to calm herself down. Tanner dims the lights as Susie kicks off her socks to begin. Meanwhile, the dancers are practicing with while Blanc is teaching Sarah a position. Olga looks at them before falling in line with everyone else. Susie continues her wild dance routine, it almost being hypnotizing to them. Blanc can feel the passion from, from the other room. Susie spins around, quickly stopping when Blanc appears in the corner next to Tanner. The two of the other women look back as she stops her audition. Now, do you think Blanc had this feeling, or do you think that Susie was calling to Blanc? Oh, that's a good call. I think with Blanc, I think it was more of her intuition of just knowing something's happening that needs her attention. Or something powerful is going on. Right, like something powerful is happening, something... Like, uh, it's kind of weird. I don't know why I always think about, like, it's like a spidey sense. It's like, oh, oh, I got to look. Like, I see what the, it's tingling. What, what spider tingling. <laughs> it's tingling. Something's <laughs> happening. I must check it out. Uh, My Peter Tingle. Someone must be dancing really, really well. <laughs> yeah. No, I think it's just she had that intuition. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, I, I, it's hard to say because we just of what we find out way later in Act 6, there's six acts in this movie. Right. In Act 6, what we find out is right. how powerful Susie actually is. So, I don't know. That's what kind of gets me curious. Was she emitting that power out? Right. That's fair. Right. Exactly. Was she pushing this power? Right. So, I don't know. Like That, that made me really curious about that. Who knows? Susie goes out to look at the photos of the performers overhearing a conversation between Olga and Sarah about being worried about Patricia. She looks over at them. Sarah is staring back at her as she continues walking. Tanner comes out, calling for her to, uh, to follow her. She shares that she spoke with Blanc, telling her well done. Susie laughs in excitement, Tanner mentioning that she would need to return home to settle things and arrange to move to Berlin. She tells Tanner that she can start right now. Their technical director, Botaher and Vindegast, the house mother, walks in. Tanner introduces both of them. Botaher asks uh, where she came from before walking away. Susie timidly answers Ohio. It's like, great. 
Another woman, Griffith, watches from above. Like, what was up with her? I think Griffith knew. Weird moments in this movie. Okay. Well, I think I think Griffith knew who Susie was from the jump. I think she was just like, This is this is the third mother. And I think she just knew that and knew what was to come. So I think she what she did in the dining scene, I think she did that to spare herself. Oh, damn. Yeah. That's a great theory. Right? So, like, I, I feel like she immediately I felt like she was, like, in a trance, knew. but... Okay. Yeah. Like, she it almost like, seems nah, like she was in I'm a trance. Out. But, like, I think she just knew, like... Maybe overthinking. Right. Like, just I, like I, I think nah, she knew, like, this is a third mother. We're going to fucking die. Like, <laughs> like, this is not going to end well. What we've been doing here, she's not happy. She wouldn't just show up. <laughs> right. Especially like this. Tanner explains that they can't pay their dancers much, so to compensate, they allow them to dorm there. Susie is surprised at, at this, chuckling to hold back tears. Tanner grabs hold of her hand, showing her understanding how tough financial autonomy is for women, adding that normally it would be full this time of year, but they have a room open. Susie nods, calling out that it was Patricia's. Tanner wonders if she knew her, but she didn't. Explaining that she overheard two of the others talking about her in the hallway. Tanner notices Griffith uh, watching them. She runs out of sight. She goes back to share that Patricia left the company under sad circumstances, thinking that she won't be back. Vandegas sits down, offering to send one of the girls down to help her with the luggage after lunch. Susie is ecstatic finding all of this to be perfect. Blanc watches her from the window as she leaves out of the company. Susie is back at her hotel waiting for Sarah. She comes out of the cab in pouring rain, knocking on the door when she makes it there, uh, apologizing for being late. Now, this was my first real time seeing Mia Goth like act act, I guess, um <laughs> sure. like where she had a longer role uh cuz I have seen her in High Life like her role wasn't really that big in high life i mean she was noticeable but also kind of forgettable in that role but she also went to cure for wellness yeah she had a more prominent role in that in that one yeah but i watched that movie after i've seen this one right so because i watched it because you you said you watched it and you had your feelings about it i was like oh i'm curious (laughs) yeah it's a very interesting movie just like this it is Yeah. yeah yeah just like this I thought she was really good in this. Like right. I, you know, like you could see, like okay, this she's a fucking star. Like she's really, really right. good. <laughs> they shake hands as she frantically explains what happens when it rains there, letting their cap go. She quickly introduces herself as asking Susie if she has an umbrella. Susie explains that she had to take the room for another night since she wasn't there on time. Sarah apologizes again explaining that she was held up at a, at the company. Susie laughs because she's included in the Everyone in Berlin statement, still feeling surreal about living there. Sarah congratulates her, sharing that she heard about her dance, wondering if she told her family yet. Susie ignores the question, bringing up that Blanc came into her audition. Sarah smiles as she gushes over her presence, finding her energy addictive and, and she's tough, able to keep the company <laughs> alive th- during the war. Sarah responds in, in French after Susie takes her coat, confused by the phrase their conversation interrupted by an explosion outside sarah opens the window able to smell the bomb that went off and it's funny because like she's like it was a bomb and yeah. it's like 
Was it? No shit. Like, <laughs> like I thought oh, it was a balloon okay. popping. Like, what the fuck? Right. Uh, explaining that there's a bank in that direction, Susie sits down as Sarah wonders if she understands what's going on. Explaining the situation and how things are escalating between citizens of Berlin and the government. She turns on the TV, sitting on the bed, commenting that she's worried about her friend. Act two, Palaces of Tears. I do love the names of the acts. I've the names. always yeah, have been a big bring fan that of too. that. Like, God damn. I love when it, it's, it very much capsulates that portion of the story of what you're watching. And I really, really like that. On a rainy day, Joseph is sitting in, in bed awake as his alarm rings. Vinegas is humming while looking out of the windows as Tanner comes down the hall to call her in to, for voting, asking Mendel who ends up choosing Marcos. Killen chooses Blanc. Judith chooses Marcos. Botaher chooses Blanc. Milius chooses Marcos. Martinson chooses Marcos. Hüller chooses Marcos. Mossetti chooses Blanc. Marx chooses Marcos. Pavla chooses Marcos. Caplet chooses Blanc. Vindegas chooses Blanc. Balfour <laughs> chooses Blanc. Alberta chooses Marcos. Griffith hesitates before choosing Marcos. Lastly, Blanc chooses to abstain. Marcos wins by three, mm. counting her power and control. This was interesting. I love how all of this works. Yeah, it's like the Ghoulish Knights voting for a movie. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? I like how this works because this is the first time we get to experience them using telepathy. Right. While they're yes. doing just regular Their stuff. Things. They're just going yeah. to the dining table and they're using telepathy to vote. And I thought that was fucking amazing. So I love how smart, they use telepathy. Like it yeah. really shows how powerful they are. And for how them they're just second to, nature. Right. And how they're able yeah. to kind of dis- dissociate a little bit as well. They're able to kind of have their actual body do something with just their full autonomy right. while their mind is talking to each other, having a full-blown secondary conversation. Fucking Yeah, it's like so they're hiding cool. in plain sight. Which is yes, perfect. exactly. God damn it, Freddie, you're so smart. Griffith breathes <laughs> heavily in a corner as she watches her peers set, uh, setting up around the dining table. One of the women turns on the radio broadcast and the demands to release all RAF members. They all take their seat at the table. Griffith is slowly t- joining everyone. Once again, like she seems like the odd duckling, but in reality, I just I really feel like she's just like we're we're doomed. You know, like I just, she just, I feel like she just feels that impending doom and she doesn't know what to do. She doesn't know how to, I guess, expose that. Right. Tanner tells Blanc that Marcos asked for her and she has to know uh, they can move on since last night's business is behind them. Blanc had her doubts about Patricia. Tanner finds whatever happened to her to be ghastly. But now that the vote is concluded, Marcos wants to try again soon. Blanc wants to ensure that the ritual will work on whoever they choose. Tanner finds Sarah to be a good option for the ritual, understanding that she's right to send, send her to fetch Susie. Cuts as Joseph walking down the stairs, panting as he moves down each step. He's headed to his country home as we find out from someone outside the building trying to keep warm. He grabs a newspaper on his way, reading it while on the train. The intercom instructs them to ha- have their ID ready. He sits the paper down next to him to grab it. The illustration of the paper is of a twisted and extra-limbed person, which is also the company. So <laughs> I, I had to go back because I was like, wait, isn't that... Is that them? And that was them. That was them promoting their new, I guess, show that was going oh. to happen. Yeah. 
Super interesting. Nice little Easter eggs. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I like how he has these ties, I guess. These, like, unknowing ties with them. Yeah. Man, poor guy, though. Fuck. <laughs> he gets to see all that shit. It's quite the journey. <laughs> like, after everything, looking out for everybody. Oh. Okay. All right, his best. He heads inside the building to have his passport stamped. I think that was his passport. He eventually makes it to his country home, touching the corner of the outside that has an A and J inside of a heart. He VOs for Anka to look at the leaves back on their porch, which Anka is also played by the original girl in Suspiria, which I'm blanking on her name right now, but she's... I mean, obviously she's fantastic, but I'm trying to find her name really quick because she is pinnacle. Jessica Harper. So yeah, so Jessica Harper, she was played by Aga and she is obviously Susie in Suspiria 1977. I thought that was really fucking awesome. cool to see her back in this. Shout out to Jessica Harper. She's awesome. But yeah, anyway, even though he swept uh, them last week, he pulls them out from the porch. Afterwards, he sits down, eating and reading, sighing as he looks up and stares out. Back at the company, uh, Sarah is showing Susie around the bedrooms. Passing up Caroline, who's on the phone with someone, Sarah shows her to her room and then to Susie's, who is right next door, allowing her to knock on the wall if she needs anything. With that, she's back inside her own room. Susie drops her things, looking around the room in awe. Joseph makes it back to his apartment. He closes the door, calling for uh, Seesum, but no answer. He grabs Patricia's bag with with a book inside, taking it out to look through it. Seesum comes back with some flour, sharing that they are demonstrating outside, asking about his late wife, Anka, and if she was strong. He doesn't respond to her as he continues looking inside the book. Back at the company, they are getting ready for rehearsals. Blanca greets all the women, giving each one a kiss and checking on their knee. Tanner shakes Susie's hand, calling out about it being wonderful that she's there. Blanc takes her in front of the class, introducing her to everyone. Allowing her to say something as she steps away, Susie is nervous, greeting them, feeling like she's not even there yet. Blanc allows her to join in when she feels ready. She falls back in line and introducing herself to the women. Blanc gives them instructions, Olga dancing Patricia's part, while Sarah takes over her part. The eerie music begins as they all rehearse. Shout out to the music in this fucking movie, though, dude. Like, it's Tom York from uh, Radiohead, and goddamn, dude. This whole thing is just beautifully woven into this movie. Every yes. fabric. And that's kind of like the one aspect amazing. I really liked about this movie is that they did care about the score. Very much style the previous radiation of it, of uh, Suspiria. Because the music and score of that old movie, too, really set the theme and the vibe and the mood as this one does for this movie. So I did appreciate that too. Yeah, absolutely. Very different from like how we're used to having like Pantera and fucking Slayer and Metallica and shit inside of Argento (laughs) movies. But I mean, at the same time, like Tom York fucking composing a film. I never thought I would see that. And, and obviously like he's a fucking genius. I mean, fucking radiohead so it's like he's awesome right he made okay computer god damn it like so it's just like one of the best albums known to man okay computer and in rainbows like it's bananas to like 
see this and hear this and experience this. And it just, to me, makes this movie that much better, in my opinion, is just his work and his stamp on this film. Like, it, goddamn, dude. Holy shit. Have you seen um, Anima? Have you ever heard of that? I don't think so, no. It's on Netflix, and it, it's a visual album by Tom York. I would highly suggest checking that oh, out because it is so it's amazing. It is really, really good. And it, it definitely gives vibes off like this a little bit. Sweet. Blanc calls out uh, for them to stop the music, needing to show Olga how to do this one part. She brings them back to the start from the top, Tanner co- counting their rhythm. Susie continues watching from the side. Blanca says Olga, who calls out this being shit. <gasps> Olga. Blanc commands them all to take a break. As Olga calls out that she can't respect her own lies. Tanner barks her down, but Blanc wants to smoke. Grabbing her wrist, reiterating that Patricia is gone and that they don't know where she is. Olga believes that she would have told someone. Blanc rubs her head, potentially blaming her disappearance on the bombings and her as being a target. And we eventually find out that uh, Patricia had ties with Raph. Smiling that she wanted to live her beliefs, willing to allow her to be the person that she wants to be. Olga sobs that she manipulates everything, knowing that Patricia didn't trust her because they are hypocrites. Blanc wants Tanner to take her into her room as Olga fights them off, wanting to leave. She runs out of the room, sobbing, throwing her shoes on the ground, calling them witches. Tanner laughs at this before Blanc turns around to begin again. She lights a cigarette, wanting to know who will dance the protagonist. A couple of them don't want to. Susie calls out that she'll dance, surprising all of them as they stare at her. She claims that she knows it, seeing it a hundred times in a documentary. Blanc tells her that they rehearsed this dance for ten months straight. Susie responds that she's seen it in person, too. Tanner suggests that she does it alone, <laughs> so they don't put put the others at risk. And I, when, when I first watched this, I was like, damn, what, the, what kind of dance is this? <laughs> Put the others at risk. Yeah. What are you doing? <laughs> but shout out to her answer. It's like, well, I saw it in person too, so I'm pretty sure I could do this. <laughs> Just the fucking confidence. Like, she plays off this really shy person and then like takes control really well. Right. And flipping that switch. Which Absolutely. Is cool to see. Yeah, it kind of made me think, like, do you do this dance with knives? What's going on? She <laughs> agrees to do it alone. Blanca gives her some room. Griffith observes from the top as Susie prepares. She starts a routine. Meanwhile, Olga is leaving, slowing down when she hears the music looking out the window. Blanca stops Susie, wanting her to clear her head and start over, making sure that she's stretched. Susie nods her head as Blanc takes her hand, applying pressure to her palms, commenting about this being no joke. She moves from her hands to her feet. The centers light up from her touch. This was fascinating. Like, it's... Yeah. I don't know. Like, I obviously, this is probably in line to sabotage Olga, right? Right. So, like... Connecting her it, it, to her, I guess, somehow. Right. And I assume Susie didn't want to blow her cover, so she just allowed it to happen instead of like stopping because like Olga was 100% just a bystander in this shit. Well, almost. They wanted oh, yeah. Olga too. So I guess not really, but. We just needed a cool death scene early on. <laughs> it was cool, but she didn't die. Just to be clear, she, oh, she did that's not right, die. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah she right. she survives, which we I think cool is scene. worse. 
which is wild. It's very much worse. She should have died. When we get that reveal later, I'm like, oh, she's still moving. Or she's still awake. Gotcha. Dude. (laughs) When they when we see her, we'll fucking get there. Cause like the, to me, it's the creepiest yeah. thing in this whole fucking movie. God damn! Distant laughter fills the room as we switch back to Olga. Two women walk up the stairs, asking her if she's all right. Susie begins the routine again as Griffith feels the pressure between the room and the woman, staring deeply into Olga's eyes. She smiles before bursting into laughter and running up the stairs again. This forces Olga to stop and groan in slight pain, rubbing her eyes that are producing an insane amount of tears. And it was like nonstop. Griffith draws the same tears. Olga continues running down the stairs, wiping her face, but it doesn't do anything. Her name is called and she follows the voice as she stumbles into things, being forced and trapped inside of a room that has no door. She cries as she tries for the door, but it is just a mirror. Back with Blanc giving Susie another shot, the music starts and she begins the routine, her dance forcing Olga to move us inside and be thrown around the room, her body twisting from from Susie's dancing. Not able to keep up with the moves, her bones break. Blanc calls out uh, for the music to play louder as Susie continues the intense dance that is destroying Olga's body, causing her to wet herself as her body continues becoming a damning vessel of destruction. Susie delivers the final blow as Olga's body twists into a pretzel-like shape. She coughs as she stops the dance, whippering and holding back vomit. God damn. A lot, a lot happens, and I feel like a, a scene that drags on a little too long, but still cool. It's a to look long at and scene, still devastating. But it's a yeah. long scene. I was like, I'm this cool with just scene. what you showed me already. You can cut it. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. This yeah. is a long scene for sure. It, it, it. Yeah, and that impact is felt for sure. Uh, the scene I think was about three minutes long, though. So. Wow. It's it's long. They check on her. Blanc tells her that it will pass, and she's not the first one to lose the room. She explains that her, her collapse is, is a hazard. Susie argues that she didn't collapse, but she's on the floor, that not being where the dance ends, telling her that it's fine and she did a wonderful job, instructing Sarah to take her back to her room and she can rest for the rest of the day. Going up to Tanner toward the mirror, calling out that being enlightening as the others begin their rehearsal again. Susie is back in the room, grabbing a cup for a pee test, remembering a time that she was little and wanting to end up in Berlin. Her sister closing the book, trying to bring her back on track to study America. She ignores her sister's complaints until her mother calls out to her. Crumbling the page from the book, Susie delivers her pee to Vinegas, holding a tray of everyone else's urine. Hmm. Interesting. So, okay. So we see them collecting the urine at this point in time as well, which is very, very interesting right off the bat. But overall, kind of kind of sus, all right, off the bat, where it's just like, why you got to collect so much pee? What's going on here? What's definitely going on here? It's like, I didn't know it was this kind of movie. I'm out. <laughs> yeah, dev- right? <laughs> definitely didn't know that it was this, this yeah. kind of movie for sure. It's jarring. Yeah, it definitely is. It, it but it's also it, it's it's also interesting that they need this as well because obviously they're trying to perform things. They're trying to perform certain rituals and they're trying to perform 
all of these different type of pieces to what's going on there. But yeah, I, I do think that there is a lot of interesting aspects to it all, I guess. So, yeah. But Joseph lights his pipe while looking at Patricia's journal. A bunch of mother's names are written in the book, one of them being Mother Sisporium. I think is how you pronounce it. But the faculty all hover over Olga's deformed body, Pava calling for their attention while Huller says to not hurt her. Joseph continues looking in the book to the illustrations of the ritualistic dance. They begin to dig hooks through her skin as she groans from each stab, but not able to scream. The book mentions Patricia's feeling of cursed, having dreams of Blanc, has a blurry Polaroid of a restaurant, crudely drawn Raff logo, a star with Blanc's name in the middle and all of her minions' name on the points, a larger drawn diagram with all of their names eventually coming to the names of some of the students out on the outer box. They lift up Olga, Hewler striking a pose that is the key to opening the door. Dragging her out of the room, Joseph calls the police to report Patricia missing. Cut to Blanc discussing how they handled Olga's outburst and Susie's natural set of skills, thinking that she may be more than what they're looking for, even surpassing Sarah. Tanner wonders if if that's what she's saying. Blanc claims that she isn't thinking that far yet. Hewler knocks on the door with Susie. They open the door. Blanc comments about her appearance, claiming that she doesn't look better, questioning if she's just this pill. <laughs> God damn. <laughs> just gonna fucking hit us with like, are you like you look terrible or, or do you just always look like this <laughs> they allow her inside the room leaving block and her alone they are having dinner as Susie explains her previous amish faith block understanding that she's not comfortable about about her lost faith Susie doesn't understand why they are talking about it but block is curious since she has audition been accepted and now their lead wondering how her journey toward them began Susie smiles that she saw her in new york three times explaining the lengths that she took to get there block calls it risky wondering if she was punished she was but she felt the need to see her this statement forces block to stop chewing she sparks a cigarette, asking a vain question of dancing Volk in front of her, the one who made it. She doesn't allow Susie to answer the, answer this question, asking her another question about how it felt like it how it felt like inside of her body. Susie compares the feeling like what it possibly feels like to fuck. Blanca seeks clarity if she's talking about a man she isn't. Thinking more of an animal, Blanca grabs an ashtray, about to comment about how she looked, switching it to her needing more practice with her jumps with Caroline. Susie understands that she's being built up to dance the protagonist. While going into the bathroom, Blanca comments that Olga lacked conviction, relieved that she's gone. She wets her hand, motioning it on back to back of Susie, thanking her for her help with that. She gasps from the sensation. She's back in her room. Sarah comes into her room. She tells Sarah that Blanc wants her to dance the protagonist in the Volk, calling her kind. Sarah nervously calls out that being wonderful, but she's thinking about what Olga said about Patricia, sharing that she was active in a political group and no one knows where she is. Someone groans in the hallway as the door shuts from down the hall. Susie questions if what Olga said was true. It was. Sarah explains that Patricia didn't trust the matrons, but she 
she never understood why. Pinky promising for a favor, adding that they might get caught. Later that night, Susie is asleep, breathing heavily. Someone clasped their hands together, causing her breathing to become more heavy in a sexual way. Images of her field in Ohio, her mother, a mirror shattering. Her younger self sleeping inside of a closet on the shelf, her mother catching her pleasuring herself as a child, her mother screaming on her deathbed with hair covering her eyes, her uh, being pulled from the closet, and Blanc sitting down in a horrific pose. The montage continues with Susie's mother placing her hands on the window seal to burn it with a hot iron. Blood smeared triangles, Marcos, and an image of a deformed person or creature, and Blanc slamming her hands downward while kneeling. Act 3. Borrowing. Two agents, Albrecht and Glockner, go up to the building, ringing the doorbell, standing in the rain until Marks answers the door, ordering them to come inside, wondering what they want. Albrecht wants to speak to Marcos about Patricia. She sighs as he questions about Blanc. She lies that she's her, she's her, asking them to come further inside to follow her. They do so, passing up Tanner on the pillar, greeting them both. Cut to uh, Sarah and Susie sneaking around, giggling like schoolgirls as two girls are leaving out of the building. They continue their spy mission into Tanner's front office. Sarah looks around for a bit, not able to get to the cabinet door, claiming that nobody will come down there during the weekend. She finds a letter opener using it to try and unlock the door. Susie takes over, unlocking it with ease. They slam the files on, on the table, not able to find Patricia's file. They try looking for Olga's, but they aren't able to find hers either. Looking for a number for Patricia's parents so they can find out if, she's, if she is or isn't in Berlin. Susie puts the files away while Sarah opens the, the drawer to put away the letter opener. Susie grabs something and discreetly places it into her pocket before going over to the other cabinet. What the fuck was that that she grabbed? Like, I couldn't really tell. Me too. I was just trying to look at it, too, and I couldn't tell. Yeah, I couldn't. And I don't think it pops back up later. It was hard to tell what she grabbed. So, who knows? She overhears laughing coming toward the door as Sarah continues looking into the file cabinets. Susie goes to investigate the laughter entering another room. So, you mean to tell me Sarah is so fucking focused that she couldn't hear laughter like they're cackling right next door and you need to tell me sarah couldn't hear that shit what do you what are you on got <laughs> that good selective hearing i guess so because that was uh interesting to say the least <laughs> just like i can't hear cackles but i can hear whispers fuck you know, it was just, it was interesting to just see that. Uh, <laughs> it just kind of, it just made me laugh. I'm just like, she she's really that focused on finding these files that she can't hear laughter from the next room. Susie even opens the fucking door and she doesn't even close it behind her. She has it open. Like what? But this is interesting though, because Susie doesn't mention anything to Sarah and Susie very clearly can see them performing witchcraft on the, on these men right they have them standing still they're taunting their penis with hooks and all of these things are happening to them that they're just blank face for so they obviously have them in this particular trance right. no it's kind of like just 
you literally witness just witches messing around and having fun and you're just like, no, I'll keep it to myself. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and I don't, and I was curious about that because like, I don't know if Sarah or if Susie wanted to freak Sarah out or didn't want Sarah to have the correct suspicions. Maybe. I don't know. I, Sarah had a completely different plan, I guess. I don't know. It was interesting. She sneaks inside to Tanner, Vinegas, and Marks with the agents who are frozen solid. They laugh as they taunt them with the hook and, ta- and taking their gun, lifting his penis up with a knife. They all laugh as Tanner moves closer to it with the hook, calling out here kitty kitty over over again. She heads back into the room with, uh, with Sarah, not mentioning anything as she's not able to find anything. They leave out as Susie chuckles from the experience. Cut to the dancers inside the room stretching. Blanc gathers their attention to bring their instinct inward, instructing Mandel and Milius to close up the mirrors and no music. They do so. Tanner confused as she continues watching. Blanc wants to work on a new piece about rebirth, wanting them all to learn it now except for Susie, wanting her to improvise based off of her instincts. She closes the curtains, sharing the, the name of the piece of being open again. She claps her hands for them all to get up. They begin practicing as Susie improvises in the middle of the floor and Blanc walks around inspecting her. Meanwhile, a wrinkled hand takes a message from our sponsors. And we're back. We slap that wrinkled hand out of our face. Instead, this wrinkled hand with extremely long fingernails touches on the wall with a raspy gasp. Like, she had the most... Sounds like me in the morning. She had the most disgusting sounding gurgles. Like they were, it sounded like she belonged in The Last of Us. They were horrible. Ugh. Do you think that Tilda Swinton was making those noises? I mean, it could be. Yeah, no, I would have to say, really shout out to the sound design team too, because all of like the gasps, the yawning, and just weird noises. Are effective too, but it could be her. Yeah, that'd be kind of insane. I feel like she out, she'll have the chops for something like that, but I don't know. Maybe they they brought someone in. I don't know. Who knows? But I feel like she could do it if it was her. You know, like I wouldn't be like, oh no, no, it's not her. I feel like yeah. she could do it. She just comes in like, a, you want ADR of what? Okay, I'm in. <laughs> Susie's experience is almost orgasmic as she continues. Blanc goes up to Tanner, staring at her with betrayal. Afterwards, Blanc and Tanner are sitting with each other, reading newspapers as the new costumes are being sewed. Blanc is upset that Tanner didn't tell her that she was coming. Tanner explains that she wanted to feel Susie for herself. Blanc questions Marcos being put inside of a storage closet underneath the floor. Tanner rebuts that's that's what she wanted. Blanc argues that they wouldn't be in this if Marcos really wanted the three mothers. Tanner thinks that she should have told Marcos about Banyan herself. Now mother wants her. I feel like that's the only, like, not the only, but that's like the main connection to Suspiria 1977 is this name sharing, Susie Banyan and dancing. Other than that, like, not much else. I mean the witches. Yep. Names, dancing, and witches. That's yeah, it. Yeah, like that's Marcos too, but like Marcos was like I don't know, Marcos was way scarier looking in Suspiria nineteen seventy seven. 
in my opinion. Probably because of the fucking glass in her eyes. But yeah. God damn, what a yeah, scene. I also say well, like building the suspense too of like the curtain and only seeing the silhouette. The silhouette not really yeah. too much of yeah. That makes sense. Because in this we're just getting like I guess pieces of her body parts. It's just like what we get to see. <laughs> but she looks like I don't like a villain in the Ninja Turtles. Like it's kinda it's kinda hard to not like <laughs> it's like I don't know. It's kinda hard to not like take her serious. But yeah. Uh, she questions wasting another girl so quickly. Tanner re- reminds her that everyone voted her out, and if Marcos wants Susie, then they must prepare her. Finding the girl in t- in time to save Marcos and allow her to live. Locke claims that she'll not be rushed again and will tell Marcos when a girl is ready. She calls for Balfour. Susie is speaking with Sarah, wondering if something happened uh, to her in the rehearsal. Sarah doesn't understand what she means as Susie explains that it felt like someone else was there with her, finding it odd, it being something that Patricia would say. They they leave to get change for tonight's festivities, passing up Vindigas, who sings on her her way toward the, the other banister. Now night, Susie is walking ahead of the group of her dancing peers, everyone excited except for her. They stop at a restaurant as they see all of the faculty inside the restaurant loudly conversing and having a great time. But their true conversation is actually inside their head. Blanca wanting to bring a custom from the old ways, Hewler wonders what she has in mind. She wants witnesses. Caplet considers one of the cops. Vindigas considers one of the dancers peeking in through the window. Hewler brings up that they already have a witness, the old man who sent them to the police. Tanner agrees, not wanting to make any of the girls go insane from what they may witness. Block agrees, adding that it's good for Susie to see them like see them like this. Vindigas wonders if she senses what they want from her. Tanner knows that she senses a lot. Her eyes shining with it. Block concluding that she sees it every night when she sends her their dreams. The girls walk off. Later that night, more dreams are being passed to Susie as she sleeps. She moans and gasps from the fleeting clips that lean into torturous pleasure. Now this is interesting because we see. Obviously, like, they know they're there or whatever, but you said it perfectly earlier is that they're hiding in plain sight, right? They're able to have these conversations publicly while also blending in with the community, right? So I do like this aspect quite a bit of these witches being this powerful. And I like that Luca Guadagnino did not hold back when... We hear Blanc saying she doesn't want any of the girls to go insane from what they might see. And I love that because Luca really leans in to the fucked up shit that's happening later in this movie. No, I totally agree. I I feel like it's a good way of doing the storytelling and showing how powerful they are and how conversational they are in plain sight. It's something that's a little bit more eeriness. It's just like, you really don't know what's going on. They're really the sheep. And like, or the the wolf in cheap clothing, right? Um, yeah, no, it's a great concept. I think that's where this movie really exceeds is showing how powerful they are and how manipulative they are, mm-hmm. and kind of organized too. It's it, yeah, it's great. I agree. After Sarah getting ready for bed in her room, hearing a distorted scream coming from somewhere inside Susie's room, she's being fed all of the all of this sick shit by Block until she screams, "I know who I am." So. This is interesting because we have Susie have this awakening 
of saying, I know who I am. Do you think that Susie wasn't technically the mother in the beginning until now in this point in time? It's a good theory. It's like she got activated while being there at the school. It could be. Yeah, it could be where it's like she just wants to always be there. She This is the place that she always wanted to go, but she never knew that if there was a main reason why she was there, and then she mm-hmm. figures out who she is and her purpose and her destiny. Could be. Yeah, I can see that. That's what it feels like. Sarah runs to her room to check on her. Two other women follow into the room asking if she's all right. Sarah tells them that it's just a nightmare. One of them calling it the Marco special, surprised that it took this long, offering her some pills to put her back down. Sarah claims that they're right, sharing her dream experiences. She lies down in in bed next to Susie. She curls up next to Sarah, looking out of the window. Act four, taking. From rain to snow, Joseph is at his country home before heading back to Berlin. He goes to the police wanting to speak to either Glockner or Albrecht. She asks for his name. He gives it, and she leaves for a moment. The TV broadcasting another murder of, can never pronounce his name, but I believe it's Jürgen Schumann. They direct Joseph to Glockner's office. As he's on his way, he stops when he sees a wanted poster of Patricia. They call for his attention so he could enter the room. The two agents claim not seeing anything out of the ordinary. Joseph argues that they're professional performers and illusion is their craft. They are over him being there, wanting him to speculate. He wonders if they spoke with Marcos, Patricia having a a delusion about her leading a coven there. Mm. Having uh, Having it for months, they chuckle. Glockner wondering if he believes in witches now. He doesn't, but he does believe that people can organize crime and call it magic. Joseph leaves their office, calling back for Glockner to share that this isn't the first time they've met. He was on the force in a different city, helping him locate Anka. He shows his gratitude for uh, for his help in, in his search. Cuts to the dancers rehearsing. Susie practicing her jump, still not getting it. Block stops her, explaining that she'll get the muscle part but with practice, but she has an aversion to them, sarcastically questioning if she's happy to be stuck on Earth, explaining how to properly do the jump, calling for Caroline to do a series of jumps for them. They looked exactly the same, but whatever. Go off. I mean, once again, I have You're no wrong. idea what they're Dancing doing. Dancing is very hard. No, I do like the concept. It's like, oh, you're jumping so wrong. It's like you're you want to be on Earth. It's like that's right. a cool way to explain. It. It's like you're not doing it correctly. I love that they really symbolize dance with emotions and storytelling, just like the movie itself. Yeah, absolutely. I also want to point out that I I, I like the fact that we have this though because it reminds me of Whiplash. The intensity of right. perfection is everything. Wanting them- like the like exactly. there's no fooling around it's like right you know how to count you know how to jump why aren't you doing it correctly right it's an obsession exactly. to get it correctly and we also start to see blanc getting irritated right where we in the beginning we see that blanc is this motherly figure to everybody else and she's soft and kind of motherly is probably the best way i could put it but i think the stress with marcos is not only getting to her, but it's also kind of showcasing it towards the girls as well, which I think is very, very interesting to kind of see her spiral and lose control. I think that's really interesting. 
When she's done, Susie is next up. Everyone watching her, not able to nail it, she catches her breath, preferring to be on the floor. Blanc agrees, believing that she's mistaking physical weakness with artistic preference and because she's tired. Susie fights back, finding this to be too soon. She showcases how the floor work is keeping the other dancers pushed down. She groans as she leans into the ground, continuing to explain about it being more to the point in if she does the jump later. Blanc walks around her as she explains why they need to get her up in the air. She stares at Caroline, who face drops. They are all walking out. Caroline pushes past everyone, having a seizure. Jesus fucking Christ. Blanc has them not touch her as she goes up to her allowing it to pass. When it stops, she sobs into Blanc's arms. Hewler is assisting Caroline into her bed, assuring her that there's nothing to be afraid of. The women are all leaving out of the building, Joseph waiting for them outside. He calls out to them. He walks over to them, explaining that he's looking for a dancer. Sarah questions who he's looking for. He uh, knows who she is, sharing that he's, he's a friend of Patricia. Cut to Sarah meeting up with Joseph at a cafe. They discuss the potential happenings of what's going on there. He places Patricia's journal on the table for Sarah, sharing the parallels between Marcos, Menhoff, and the political actions are both important. Educating that these are how delusions are made, calling them lies that tell the truth. She reads the word witches. He thinks that this might be another way of processing some other form of intrigue. She doesn't believe this, calling the company a family and there's lots of love there. He rebuts that love and manipulation share the same house. She closes the, the book, apologizing that she doesn't see this. She's about to leave. He stops her, instructing her to eat. It is possible that the police missed something because Patricia has mentioned hidden areas of the building. She's done with this, feeling like this is just a dance company. She takes out some money and gets up. He pleads for her to look closer. She thanks him for caring for Patricia, but hopes that he doesn't come back again. Oh, man. All right. The homeboy's just trying to help. Right. He's just like, yeah. all right, if you don't want my help, fuck you then. But like, he wants to get to the bottom of everything. Right. I do love what he says, though. That line of saying, love and manipulation live in the same house. Yeah. Damn. I mean, that is so good. It's true, right? It's yeah. true. Sadly. Like, it, it, sadly. It's a fine line exactly. of like, are you manipulating me or, yeah. Are you loving me? <sighs> yeah. But, like, the lines in this movie and the delivery is like fucking flawless. But another thing I want to point out in this scene is just the continuation of the dread. It's always raining. It's always like poor weather. And it really sets the tone behind what is happening inside this company. And it's also setting the tone of what's happening outside the company, right? And one thing I want to point out is how he compares Marcos and Minhoff, right? And he compares both of them where it's just like what was happening with Sarah is sharing the same exact parallel between these two different people who are drastically different. One is a political figure and the other is a fucking dance instructor who's looks like the blob from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So like it's easy to kind of distinguish as to why they had this as the surrounding background because they could have easily made this movie modern, like it's set in modern times because at times it feels like it is, which I don't know if it's a good or a bad thing, but at times it does feel like, Oh, this feels like this is happening now in a day and age. Like this doesn't scream 
the 70s to me. Like, nothing really screams the 70s to me in this film. I don't yeah, know. I totally agree with you. Sarah finishes up her shower going to her room. She looks at Susie's room. One of the women calls out that she hasn't come back yet, joking that she might be seeing someone. Sarah listens by the door, hearing nothing. Inside the room where Olga was turned into a human pretzel, Blanca brings her in there, explaining how movement is another form of language. She compares them to poems and prayers Susie adds like spells. <laughs> this is almost feels like it's taunting her as well. Right, where it's it's like, like, I know something you don't know. Right, like I know like who you are. You don't are. know that I know. Exactly. And it's like she's dropping these little nuggets where it's just like, I know exactly who you are. Like, Drop the fucking charade. It's time. Like, let's get to business. They continue walking into the room, Blanc uh, continuing to explain the importance of the jump. The mothers are in the communal room, Tanner bringing up Blanc's new approach, them not knowing what was going to happen to Patricia. They don't know if it will work at all since it killed her and it might kill any that try it. That was interesting that they said it like that, that it killed her, because she didn't technically die. So, maybe she... Was dead. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, her was. career died. I, yeah, fair. Yeah. <laughs> Very fair. She ain't dancing no more. <laughs> no, definitely not. Not 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 in her condition. That's for sure. Patricia is unwilling in the end, and they shouldn't be f- forced to to do it. Wanting to bring her into their power, but she had different plans. Tanner calls her foolish. Back with Blanc speaking with Susie, telling her about the molding herself into the image of its creator when dancing someone else's dance. Emptying yourself so her work can live within her. Needing her to find her right place. Figuring out that she wants to be for the company, Susie wants to be the hands, reaching for hers. She's practicing her jumps, Blanc forcing her to go higher and higher. This affecting Griffith inside the other room as she continues. She finally nails it, smiling that sometimes she only needs to be told twice. That was a cute moment. This almost felt like something was going to happen. Like, her ankles were going to break or some shit. Yeah, yeah. I think it was the close-ups of her feet landing each time. You expected something bad to happen to roll the ankle, whatever. And the sound. But then again, she kind of nails it. And then also like, oh, don't worry. I'm a quick learner. Like, I need to only be told twice and I get it down. So it's a little bit more of a power move. It's like, don't worry about it. I got you. Cut to Sarah asleep in her chair, her head falling down as the mothers continue speaking about someone plotting against them, Hewler thinking that Patricia might have said anything about them. Tanner tries to convince them that they have time, but they wonder how much time, wondering if Marcos dies before Blanc can deliver them Susie, the company will be finished. Tanner believes that Marcos will hold on for them. Griffith stands up, leans over the table, slowly grabbing the knife and stabbing herself in the neck. They all scream and run to her aid as she does it again, blood spurting from her neck as they try to assist her, but it's too late. Jesus Christ. This scene was really effective. It's great. This is a great scene. And I still stand on my theory that I just, yeah. I think she knew who she was. I could see it. I could totally see it. It's like, you know what? We're just screwed. So... Fuck it. The way she goes for it the second time, too, I'm just like, what? Yeah. It, it's really good because it's so, like, subtle. Like, you don't expect it. 
You just got the tension relief of what was happening in the prior scene. Oh, cool. She didn't roll her ankle or break her foot, whatever. She didn't have a nice little scene, whatever. And then we go straight into this little dining scene. They're all having fun. Just calmly stands up, grabs a knife, and does it. Fuck. Wild. Well, I think she does it because of that reason. Because she knew that she was going to die. Because everybody who voted for Marcos died. So... I think she just knew. She just knew that, like, this is uh, Mother Superiorium. We're done. There's no reason for us to fucking be here anymore. So she just ended it. Great shit. Great shit. Sarah wakes up from Thud on the other side of the wall. She gets up. Hearing footsteps, she presses her ear to the wall. Hearing muffled chattered from inside the wall, she follows the chatter and footsteps into the ground. She leaves out of the room, listening on the wall in the hallway, hearing more chatter and a door slamming. She counts her steps as she walks out inside the hallway, stopping when she hears whimpering. She continues down the steps, counting some into another hallway. She opens the door to another room, eventually finding the room with no door, pushing open against the mirror, but it won't budge. She knocks on the mirror, finding a hollow thud, trying to work her fingers into the crack, but the door opens up for her. She cautiously enters inside the dark room, pulling open a large steel door, walking down a set of steps inside another secret room. She sees a painting of Blanc and Marcos made out of something super disgusting with hair attached to it. She continues moving around the room, looking at all of the trinkets inside the glass cases. She opens one, about to pick up the hook, but stops when she hears screaming coming from inside another room. Oh, you hear that? You hear that screaming, but you don't hear the fucking laughter and cackles when you were inside the office. Okay. Okay. Like I said, you got that selective hearing. (laughs) Fucking cranked up to the max. Jesus Christ. But anyway, she goes up to the the door overhearing chanting and someone yelling about not being able to stop Griffith. She opens the door to their chants and screams even louder. She promptly closes the door, takes the hook, and gets out of there. The next day, she goes to see Joseph. He explains the three mothers that Patricia would mention. They were lost in time, predating all Christian religion, pre-God, pre-devil. Mother Tenab... Brarum, Mother Lassarum, and Mother Suspirorium. Darkness, tears, and sighs. She admits to seeing images of that last night in porcelain. He continues that Patricia claimed that Marcos was one of the three uh, writing about uh, Marcosites and, and Blancosites. So this is interesting because like, he's pretty much sharing that like, oh, they pick sides all the time. So, Sarah is shocked that Blanc is involved, wondering if they believe they're witches. He notices the similarities between the three mothers and the Reich. Insignia, esoteric ritual, thinking that there's a, uh, these mothers can be code names, not really knowing. Only knowing that she's living with dangerous people. She thinks that Patricia could still be in there. The door slams by uh, Seesum, causing them to become cautious for a moment. Sarah continues that they could be holding her in the building. He doesn't promise that the police will come back to inspect the cabinet full of porcelain, but they can try. Needing her to take care of herself, thinking that she should leave. She holds the hook in her hand, willing to figure it out. He adds that she should put it back, changing it to leaving it there instead. I feel like that was a bad move. I would have put it back. Yeah, and also, what a dining room table. 
with like the blood splatter on there. Oh yeah. Seriously. I was like, wait, what kind of sick design is this? But I'm all for it. (laughs) And what a crazy looking hook too. Hook is nuts, man. God damn. Sketch. And when we see the hook go into Olga, like fuck dude jesus christ digs under her skin and comes out that and it's like i don't want to see this and how they carry her damn yeah when they pick her up by it i was like holy shit (laughs) oh man definitely one of the most brutal scenes in this movie for sure she or he adds that she should put it. Oh yeah, there I read that one. It not being good for them to know that she has it. He places it on the table. Cut to the mothers preparing the ground with tape for their next ritual in the same type of design inside of Patricia's book. Sarah leaves out of Joseph's spotting Tanner looking directly at her. They stare at each other for a moment before a group of RAF members run past her. Tanner shifts to another woman who looks similar to her. As she walks away. Damn. (laughs) This frightens Sarah enough to head back to the company. Everyone is getting ready. Sarah is in a state of fear. Balfour says something in German that has one woman doing Susie's hair scatter. And so does Sarah. She watches Sarah before getting her, her haircut by Balfour. Picking up her hair, she starts hearing wheezing. Fade to a priest praying over her mother. She moves his hands off of her. She whispers her daughter, her last one is her sin. Her being what she smeared on the world. What a thing to tell your child. How lovely. Thanks, mom. It's nice. Lovely words from the mom. Yeah, good fucking riddance. Fades back to, to rehearsals. Blanc speaking to uh, Susie in French about her using her center. She has her practice her jumps as she responds in French. Sarah's standing beside them, shocked at what's happening. She cries to Susie, believing that she's making a deal with them. She plays it off. Sarah questions how she can know what they are going to ask of her in return. Sarah tries to convince her that nothing is wrong. She shudders. She hasn't seen the bill yet. Susie repeats that nothing is wrong as she walks away. Mm. But there is. Nothing wrong because she already has a plan. There's a plan, Sarah. You gotta trust her. Cut to the footage of the, uh, to the end of the Lufthansa one eight one hijacking. Later that that evening for opening night, Joseph is going to be in attendance. The women are getting ready. Marx is holding up a mirror, trying to convince Susie to not be afraid of the white paint, wanting the audience to see her from the back row. Susie paints her face, wondering where Sarah is. Marks answers that she came in this morning did her makeup and left yosef checks in mendel knows that this is the first time showing him where to go they usher him inside the hall act five in the mother house all the floors are darkness milius collapses for them to hurry out as the show is soon to start meanwhile sarah's downstairs eventually finding patricia huddled in a corner her skin badly bruised and wrinkled susie feels what's happening through her body While Sarah is trying to have Patricia get up, someone else contorts their body and starts crawling in that direction due to their missing feet. Holy shit, dude. Like, this scene is nuts to me. Yeah, there's just a lot going on. The visuals is crazy. The costume design is wild. Uh, It's like pure chaos. 
it's like a dreamlike sequence too as a viewer right and i want to even point out like how olga was standing in the corner it almost felt like she was standing in the corner like how the aliens are and uh no one will save you like it's just god her body was just stiff and it had like this interesting like I guess pretzel like twist to her arms. It was awesome. Like it was great to kind of see that just her sitting in the corner and she wasn't focused in or anything. It was just there. And I really, really dug that. She turns Patricia around, exposing her face being completely deformed. She notices the person crawling toward them, trying to make a run for it, but Patricia won't let her go. Finally releasing her, stopping when she hears Marcos wheezingly calling for her. She continues running out, Patricia falling back into place. The bell rings for the showed up again. The dancers all chant Marcos to prepare themselves. Blanc comes out of the center of the floor, introducing the piece created in 1948. The dancers all whisper, wondering where Sarah is. Is. She's downstairs trying to trek her way through the dark as Patricia calls out to her. The lights are cut off. They all head onto the dance floor. Sarah continues trying to find her way out. Blanc closes her eyes and the show officially begins. With rapid breaths, holes in the floor start to open up. She falls into one and breaks her leg. She screams in pain as the ritualistic show continues above her. Her agonizing screams are finally heard as the mothers come in to retrieve her. She screams out no as they hover above her. I do have a theory about the dance as well. I have this theory that with the dance in this moment is to kind of put all of the dancers in their trance, right? So, like, we see them in their trance later at the end of the film and stuff like that, and I feel like that's what this dance was doing. I feel like this dance was putting them in that trance. It could be. It could be, like, a sense of power, right? They're running this school of dancers. They're telling them what to do. They're telling them to be perfect. This is them controlling that group and having them do exactly what they want, and they have to perform for them. It's kind of like a, a show of ownership to like, they're not people to us, right. they're resources. Um, and I think with the dance movements, it's also chaotic and kind of like deadly on its own. It's, it's memorizing. It's crazy to look at. It's hypnotizing, but at the same time, not only for us as the viewer, but for them, they're moving exactly how they want them to move. Mm-hmm. And they've been perfecting this dance for such a long time. That's true. Yeah, that's very interesting. Yeah. Pleading for them not to as they move her hand over her wound, causing the bone to form back underneath the skin again. But it's not fixed. It's just in her skin. Still broken. Blanc continues looking down, transforming her into a puppet. Sarah rises up again in a canatonic state. Tanner notices Blanc as the dancers continue Sarah on her way. She calls out to Susie, is ready, and it's time. Mandel is looking over at Joseph. He starts having trouble breathing, loosening his tie. She continues glaring at him. The door opens up for Sarah to enter inside the room. She catatonically walks on stage, looking up. Her eyes shifted to blue. She performs the dance alongside everyone else, Susie continuing to take the lead as they work the formation. Blanc slightly mimics them as they slap their chests, the dance becoming more intense alongside the music and slapping of skin. There is just so much happening here. 
Goddamn. Yeah, really clever editing, too. Yes, absolutely. The way that this is edited is beautifully done. Absolutely incredibly well done. Sarah drops down on the ground, screaming the lights turn on. Joseph leaves from his seat, staring at her in, in shock. Without words, she uses her body language and her eyes to speak on the terrors that's happening there. Her body stiffens. Susie looks back at Blanc, shedding a tear. They crack her bone plate in place, all this surprising Joseph. <laughs> damn. Cuts him uh, walking out in the snow, having flashbacks of him and his wife. His wife shifting from a young woman to an older woman, um, played by Jessica Harper, stretching her hand out with tears in her eyes. She swipes her hand, causing him to gasp. <sighs> Man. I felt so bad for him. This poor old man. <laughs> Just a goddamn bystander who cared about. Just wants to do the right thing. That's it. That's it. That's it. Like he just cared about Patricia, and this dude is just like being fed all this shit about his wife's. Oh my god. Goddamn. Oh, I felt so bad for this guy. While Susie is in bed, she hears something behind the wall. It turning into screams and whispers. Blanc comes into the room, looking out of the window, telepathically, Susie apologizes for going off book. This surprises Blanc, but she answers back telepathically that it cannot happen again. She barely started to understand. She sits next to her on, on the bed, explaining that they brought Sarah back so they could complete the ritual in time, but she derailed it. She wonders if she hurts those people, but she didn't this time. They only saw a dance. Susie questions about this all being a mess. She begins speaking with her voice as she continues, wondering why is everyone ready to think the worst is almost over. Blanc looks down at her, holding and rubbing her hands, finding it wrong if she were to explain everything to her. Susie places Blanc's hand on her face, speaking in French that she doesn't want to make her choice because she loves her. She motions her eyes shut, telling her to sleep, and there'll be no more dreams tonight. She'll make sure of it. Act 6. Suspiriorium. Ah, God damn it, man. This is... Jesus Christ. Now, before we get into Act 6, because Act 6, I feel like, is where it really starts just like... It's damn near almost a different movie. <laughs> it's... I feel like it's... You know what? I'll I'll save it because I, I feel like it'll paint a better picture once I get there. More rehearsals. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. More rehearsals. Um, the ritual must be completed tonight. Susie is alone in her room, putting on some gloves and her jacket before heading out. Cut to Joseph leaving his home, ignoring his assistant and her soup. He's walking on a bridge in the middle of the night. The mothers, including Susie and some of the dancers, are laughing and gathering for a late dinner. Joseph is walking in the snow with a heavy bag. He takes it to a bridge, throwing it into the water, also taking the hook out of his pocket to chuck that as well. The witches continue having a good time at the restaurant, Susie sitting on one end while Blanc is sitting on the other end. Back to Joseph, walking to his country home where he sees his wife standing inside his house. Now this is, this is fucking shocking. I'm surprised he didn't have a heart attack right there. Because 
<laughs> that's understandable for sure. I would have had a heart attack if I, I would see have seen happen. my a hundred percent. My wife, I thought was dead for years. Like, I think I just dropped dead. Is like, I would. Yeah, and I, I, I agree. With I would. Yeah. I would drop dead. <laughs> it's like no way, no way. It was just interesting because, like, for him, that moment was everything. The witches knew what made him weak. And they use that very, very well against him, especially in this moment. So, sucks, sucks for him, but that's, it is what it is, I guess, for him. He calls out to her, not knowing it is her right away. She comes out of the house, both of them surprised uh, to see each other. She explains what happened that night she went missing. Forced to make a new life in Bristol when nobody believed where she was from. Through tears, they share a kiss and embrace each other as they continue walking to the train station. Meanwhile, the witches are singing in German to the dancers, some of them becoming uncomfortable as they touch on their heads, then falling into an almost trance-like state. Blanc glares at Susie as she begins to smirk at her until she disappears. Joseph and Anka are walking past the company. He lets go of their embrace to look at the building. When he looks back for Anka, she's no longer there. Oh my god. No. Hewler and someone else. He got back what he really wanted. Uh, Hewler and someone else comes shrieking and running toward him, forcing him inside, screaming about how dirty he has made the hook from throwing it in the water. She places the hook into the glass cabinet, yelling about him having years to save his wife out of Berlin before their arrest began. She rips his jacket as she continues to yell at him. And he's just like, what the fuck? What is happening? Why are you? What is going on? <laughs> he looks so confused. Like, why are you so angry? <laughs> <laughs> why are you pulling why are you me? So mad? <laughs> it's just a hook. <laughs> Please stop. They they cackle and shriek as they continue forcing him down the hallway. Susie makes it back into the building, looking around for a moment before tossing her purse on the ground. She heads inside, dropping articles of clothing as she strips to head into her room. Naked in her room, she stands over her bed, looking at the cosmic shimmer that would visit her while she dreamt. She follows it down a, into a dark and damp hallway, the door opening up to Blanc, waiting for her and the other women standing in the center in a pattern. They are wearing dresses made out of women's hair as they breathe sharply and form signals with their hands. A few of the other women are positioned as they are on top of one another, sculpting something out of nightmares. The rhythmic breathing is accompanied by Marco's wheezing as Tanner stands behind her. Susie watches as they dance all separately. The mothers take their hooks and slice open the stomachs of Sarah, Patricia, and Olga, pulling out their guts. Joseph is on the ground crying that he's innocent and he remembers. They continue their chants as they hold the innards. Susie says that she's ready. This makes Marcos pleased as the women continue their chants in ritualistic dance. Susie looks over at Blanc, commenting that she looks afraid. Marcos laughs that she is afraid for Susie. She continues that there will be nothing for her left inside, only space for her. Susie confirms that this is the reason why she has come. Them all waiting for this. Marcos is excited that this is happening, calling it out towards the sky. 
Balfour leads the choral singing as she holds the wrist of one of the dancers. Marcos excitedly shrieks, and her shrieks are terrified. She's almost like a pig, right? Like, it's just a very, very terrifying shriek. Like, animalistic, yeah. Yeah. Scary. Questioning if she has come there willingly, Blanc adding that she must have no doubts. And if she does, she can take all of this from her right now, allowing her to forget everything. She looks over at Marcos, telling her that she wants this to be pure. Marcos gets up from the chair, yelling that this isn't for vanity, rather art. She shoos Tanner away. Blanc doesn't feel that this is right and something is off, wanting to stop this. But Marcos doesn't want to, be, doesn't want to because they've waited too long for this. They all chant Marcos's name as she lifts her hand and slashes it downwards, slicing into Blanc's neck, almost decapitating her. Marcos grabs Susie's hand, wanting her to put her mother down if she chooses to fully accept. Quick cut to Susie's Ohio home. It's shifting to blood red as Susie prepares to expel her mom with the coaching from Marcos. The matrons all start to shriek as a long creature appears there. Tanner turns Marcos to see the creature approaching them. She questions who Susie is. Susie answers with the question, for whom were you anointed? Wanting to know which of the three mothers, Marcos cries a mother superiorum. The creature approaches them as Susie says that she is her. The creature kisses Marcos on the lips, causing her to spit out blood onto Tanner's face and kill over. The creature leans into Tanner, not selecting her as she continues to move to those who voted for Marcos, exploding their heads. This grants Susie with orgasmic pleasure as she clutches her chest. As heads are exploding left and right, Susie pulls into the chest, ripping it open, releasing distorted hissing screams and growls. She whispers, quote, I am mother, end quote, as a tear drips onto her neck. She goes up to Sarah, Olga, and Patricia, wanting to know what they wish Olga says to die, wish granted. Patricia wants the same fate, wish granted. Sarah kneels before her, also wanting to die. She falls into her arms, allowing death to take over she everyone else continues to dance their ritual Susie calling it beautiful as she wants them to continue she stands in the center of them as they spin around her and poor Joseph whimpers on the ground but is ultimately allowed to leave as he's being assisted out of the door from Vendigast with blood still staining their skin she puts his glasses on him kissing him goodbye before singing to him still assisting him a bit further until he walks on his own now this is what i feel like lords of salem at the end of lords of salem i feel like this is what they were trying to accomplish kind of this crazy hectic but yet organized experience that we're kind of seeing right. here so it's it's very red very red filled with blood chaos a lot happening people's heads exploding um rib break or just like just chaos and gore yeah it looks good it looks chaotic as well but i also like the the way they edit it too where it kind of like staggers yes where it feels like it's glitching a little bit and it just kind of adds to chaos itself but it's effective but like you said it kind of like pulls away from the rest of the movie it has no other tones that we've seen prior right at the same time this is what our final act should look like at the same time i agree but yeah, it's terrifying, but 
beautiful in a weird way. It is. It's, like, it's all coming together. It is. Oh. I agree. Epilogue. A sliced up pear. The dancers are back in bed, grunting, moaning, and whimpering in their sleep. Joseph makes it back to his apartment, panting from the night he just had, closing his eyes as he looks at Anka's cracked picture. The dancers come trotting down the steps, thinking that their night was from too much drinking. They share that Blanc has left the company. Meanwhile, they are downstairs, cleaning up all of the bodies without heads. Vindigas goes to Blanc, pushing her head back together, which causes her eyes to move. She gasps and hugs her, allowing her head to drop back down, as it is missing its nape. Tanner feels this, turning her position in the chair upstairs in shock. Joseph goes through his wife's Aryan papers, finally having the courage to scan them. Cecil comes into the room, bringing him dinner and closing the book and places it in his drawer, arguing that this isn't the way. She stops when she notices Susie standing in the doorway. She questions who, who she is. Susie uh, demands her to wait outside. She obeys. Susie sits down on the bed, staring at him, regretting what her daughters did to him, admitting that she wasn't in the position to prevent wanting him to know the truth. She shares that what actually happened to Anka, she was killed at a concentration camp, continuing that she had two friends next to her when she died. Her final thoughts was her birthday when he took her to a concert, that being the first time they held hands. He sobs as she continues that she was cold when she died, but she wasn't afraid, thinking only of him. He scoots closer as he sobs softly. She places her fingertips on his temple, saying the names of the people that he tried to help, allowing their memories to vanish, granting him his mind back without guilt and shame. She lets go and disappears. He begins to convulse and seize. Seesum rushes back to his side. He questions who she is. She tells him and he remembers who she is, going back as if nothing happened. Cut today at his old country home. The home is inhabited with a new family. His initials, alongside Anka's, still etched onto the foundation of the home. Then, credits. Man, I really like the ending of this movie. Yeah, it, it's weird because after all that chaos, you get this kind of sweet scene. Yeah. <laughs> the two in the way. You definitely do. And it shows that it's like, I could be chaotic and murderous, or I can also be empathetic and grieve with you a little bit right i agree but anyway i got some motherfucking movie facts was hip movie facts <gasps> the now infamous dance hall of mirror scene where olga's body twists and contorts in excruciating pain synchronized with Susie's dancing had close to zero cgi according to luca guadagnino elena fokina being a trained contortionist and ballet dancer, in addition to having hypermobility, having flexible joints, performed all of these stunts herself. Jesus Christ. That is crazy. Holy shit. Man. That's a performance. <laughs> For real. A lot of these are long, so I'm probably just going to read maybe a couple more, just because uh, we are... T- tired <laughs> the music score is the debut score of radiohead singer tom york who followed radiohead and co-composer johnny greenwood and phil selway into film scoring greenwood is notable for scoring the films for paul thomas anderson and lynn ramsey Selway scored let me go in 2017 Chloe Grace Moritz, despite having a top billing as the part of the cast only has about six minutes of screen time throughout the entire film 
Interesting. Wow. Top billing. Good for you. Get that check. At two and a half hour movie, six minutes in. Yeah. Perfect. Sitting at two hours and 32 minutes, this remake of Suspiria is nearly an hour longer than the original. God damn. <laughs> Jesus. You just had to put in all that information, huh? When the, uh, when the trailer and movie were revised to remove images resembling photographs by Anna uh, Mendiata, also removed was a shot appearing to recreate Gina Pan's 1975 death control, an image of a woman's face covered in dirt and maggots, a shot resembling Claude Cahoon's 1936 self-portrait in cupboards remains in the film. Interesting. Let's do one more here. Mm. Oh my god, I'm so glad this didn't happen. Judy Dench was rumored to play Madame Blanc. That would have been a choice. But yeah. David Gordon Green actor, was set to but... direct. Oh. He loves touching reboots, huh? Fucking Christ. That would have <laughs> That would have been, I feel movie. like that would have been a different movie though. I feel like that definitely would have been a different movie. Completely different. Totally different. Absolutely. Absolutely. But we definitely want to keep this conversation going for Suspiria 2018, and we can do so by going into our Discord and keeping it going there. That is going to be inside of our show notes, or you can hit us up on our socials, which is also inside of our show notes as well. Feel free to keep this conversation going, because we definitely want to keep it going on our end, for sure. But next month... We're actually going to be covering all home invasions uh, type horror films. Coin, the call is coming from inside the house month. But we are not going to be doing this alone, folks. I told you that we are going to be switching some things up quite a bit with the Nightlight, a horror movie podcast. And this is going to be the first time ever that we're actually going to be doing something quite like this, where we are going to have rotating guests. I didn't mention it. I wanted this to be a surprise. And this rotating guest is not going to be in the common sense of one person showing up here and there. No. We're going to have a guest on for the entire month. We'll be doing this on and off where Freddie and I will just be kind of taking over some months just by ourselves. But in between those months, we are going to have our friends kind of coming in and joining us on a month long theme for Nightlight, a horror movie podcast. And our very first guest is going to be none other than Shelby Novak, who does Scare You to Sleep podcast, which is an amazing podcast. She has been on the show before when we have yeah. covered Kronos, and she's phenomenal. She's great. So very yeah, excited to have obviously her. obviously heard her voice with the you intro. You have. Because she exactly. is the intro. She is our ritualist our as well. So. so very excited to have her on the show. And this is going to be a lot of fun. But we got a nice a nice chunk of guests lined up for it. And I'm very excited for you all to kind of be on this ride with us. But the next film that we are going to be covering is going to be the French extremity film, Them. So excited, dude. So fucking excited. But this was Nightlight, a horror movie podcast. I was one of your hosts, Prince, also known as Head Knight. Alongside me, we had Freddie. Also known as Night and Night. And always keeping it spoopy. <laughs> mm -hmm. With your help, we can reach more ghoulish nights with your recommendation as someone who would actually enjoy the show. If your podcast app allows you to rate our show, consider us giving us a five-star rating as it honestly does help us out a ton. For extra horror-related content, head over to patreon.com slash nightlightpod. That's night with a what? K. And remember, everybody. 
don't forget, you're nightlight.